Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in. If you have not been with us, we have been since the first of the year in a study in the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 6, moving slowly but surely towards uh, the completion. We're going to continue today. Uh, Last week in Ephesians 6, we talked a little bit about spiritual warfare. And uh, I, I shared a little bit about paradigm or worldviews that are contrasting. I feel like I'm losing this. Maybe that, I don't know. Uh, Worldviews that are contrasting how in uh, parts of the world, there it goes again. Sorry. All right, I don't know. We'll see how that works. Technology is not my friend. Um, Parts of the world uh, with more of an Eastern mindset have an, an openness and an awareness of sort of the supernatural spiritual realm that here in our kind of scientific, materialistic, naturalistic, post-enlightenment, Western worldview, we, we don't always see those things. Uh, we rationalize things. We want to figure things out. And, and so we don't always have the same level of awareness, even in the church, of the spiritual realm or of spiritual warfare. So I... I felt like this was a somewhat uh, relevant and important issue and uh, maybe worth another pass. So so I want to follow up today. My goal being simply to help us as a people develop a more biblical worldview as over and against just having that Western or kind of rational worldview. So our title this morning is As It Is in Heaven. And our text is the same as last week, Ephesians 6.10. But let's pray, and then we'll read that together. Jesus, thanks for uh, today and and for the weather cooling down a little bit and just being a little bit uh, more, uh, feels like we can get outside again. And and just thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us for this opportunity to be together as family. Pray you would uh, just bless us as we seek to bless our community today. And then also, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to receive from your word. Your name, amen. All right, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Um, So the text makes some assumptions. 
And the first of those, and, and maybe, I mean, the most important is that the devil is real. Uh, the, the devil is not a caricature of a little dude in a red suit. Could you go ahead and, there we go. Sometimes I think, you know, that guy, he looks a little mischievous. He's kind of got that mischievous grin. Uh, but overall, you know, he's kind of cute. Doesn't look like he can cause a whole lot of trouble. Has no belly button, so I, that's a concern. But I, I don't know if, if in, a, in our normal paradigm or normal worldview, how um, seriously we consider spiritual forces, we consider the devil. He is a powerful, malignant being. And uh, Paul tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and if you could click one more for me, uh, there we go, against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That sounds pretty ominous. There's four levels or layers of these entities that our battle really is against. So the question is, are, are those real? Is this true? Are those dudes really out there, and do we really have a bone to pick with them? Uh, do we really need this armor that Paul is talking about? Um, one theological perspective that is common that, that, that you may have heard that's out there is that everything that happens is going according to God's plan. So, for example, when a tragedy happens in the course of your life, you might hear something like, um, oh, God has something for you in this. Or even, oh, God has something better for you. You've lost, uh, you know, your job, your house, a loved one, but, but God has something better for you. Um, and, you know, I, I hear things like that and I, I look at statistics and statistics will tell us that young people are leaving the church today in droves. And frankly, when I hear that kind of logic, I understand why. I, I think sometimes maybe people that don't know God or don't know God very well have a better theological perspective than some of us who do know God. Because if I'm a young person and I go through a tragedy and somebody says to me, oh, God has something better for you, I might say, if that's who your God is, I don't know if I want a part of that. Reality is, that was not God's plan. God does have a plan. He does, and, and God is more powerful. God and the devil are not equal. But the struggle is real, and sometimes God's plan gets disrupted along the way. I, I'm going I'm to say something else. Right now, 
There are theologians everywhere covering their ears and going, la, 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 I can't hear you. But you know what? Here's the deal. Sometimes stuff just happens. Stuff just happens. Uh, Was that guy? Was it the devil? Was it somebody's fault? It's complex, and it, it just happened. And I think that, frankly, theologically, trying to ascribe blame to situations can be a tiresome process that just wears you out. And sometimes we have to not try to ascribe blame as much as just say, you know what, this happened and we have to move forward from here. If you remember last week, we looked at the passage in the book of Daniel, where Daniel prays and his prayer wasn't answered because there was a spiritual being, an entity, that interfered with Daniel's prayer. And I wonder, just for us, when was the last time you considered that your prayer might not be being answered because of something like that? See, honestly, from me to you, that's weird. That's just weird. But it's there. Does that kind of stuff really happen, you know? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I, I think, you know, the more common answers, we, again, try to rationalize that out. Well, it just wasn't God's will. It just wasn't God's will. That's why your prayer didn't get answered. Or maybe, you know, I, I didn't have enough faith or I didn't pray hard enough. What if it was God's will? What if you did have faith? What if you were praying as much as anybody could pray, but the answer to your prayer was thwarted by the enemy? Could that have been the case? What Paul's telling us, I believe, is that these these different levels, these entities, are in fact moral free agents. And like you and I, they can interfere with the plan of God in our lives. For example, you know, if you have tomorrow morning, let's say you have a uh, an appointment at 9 a.m., an interview, job interview at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning is very important, job you really wanted, and now is the opportunity. And, and you get up early and, and you get ready, you're all, you're, you're dialed in, your resume is all dialed in, get your hair all boofed up and you get your suit on and you're ready to go. But in the middle of the night, I sneak over to your house and I let the air out of all four tires in your car. So you go out to go to your appointment and you can't because the car has four flats and you have one spare. You could change one, but you can't change four. So you call Uber and Uber says, I'll be there in 35 minutes, but your appointment's in 20 minutes, so you're going to be late. And you don't know what to do. Well, here's the reality. I interfered with the plan. I caused that to go sideways. And I believe what Paul's telling us is that spiritual entities have that same capacity to be able to cause things to go sideways. Again, looking at Daniel, the the report back to Daniel is that when God heard Daniel's prayer, he dispatched an angel to respond to the prayer. But a counterforce came and interfered with that angel being allowed to carry out the will of God 
And so he was delayed. So he called for backup. And a bigger angel came to help. And now it's like a gang fight. It's like the spiritual jets and sharks. These angels are battling. And this is taking place in the spiritual realm. In the meanwhile, in the meantime, Daniel is wondering, did God hear my prayer? Is God really out there? Is he going to respond to me? Because he can't see that happening. I want to look at Psalm 82 for a minute. And, and before we read this, I just want to preface with two things. One, this is in the Bible, and it's the Psalms, just so you know. Go ahead. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Small g gods typically in Scripture refers to angelic beings or, or, or spiritual beings, good or bad. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4. Paul calls Satan the god, lowercase g, of this world. There are several other places. In Job, Job becomes aware of this angelic conference that's taking place. Second Kings, Ahab sees a council of the kings in the spiritual realm. Isaiah is one of my favorites, Isaiah 6. Isaiah enters into this conversation with God in the middle of the angels flying around. So God presides in this great assembly. All, all these spiritual entities are gathered, and he renders judgment among them. And this is what God says to these angels. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Go ahead. <coughs> Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are sons of the Most High. Go ahead. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth. For all the nations are your inheritance. Okay. That's crazy. God is speaking to angels. And if I'm understanding this correctly, he's calling them out because they're not doing their job. They're not doing their job. On earth, in this world, uh, we have, there's kings and princes, not in this country. We have presidents and governors, but th there are, there's a political hierarchy and there are physical power structures that exist in, in the world, right? The same is true in the spiritual realm. There's a, there's a hierarchy and there are power structures. If you look at the middle part of that psalm, Verses 3 and 4 say, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and needy, and deliver them from the wicked. If you just saw those verses, you might think, okay, well, that's just sort of a description of what we, sh we should be doing. That's, that's God's heart for people. But, but the, re the reality is, it's a rebuke from God to the angels for not doing their job. We, again, like... You might think of the devil like the little red guy we saw earlier. We think of angels as kind of these cute little cherubs. They're, 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 they're little winged babies with chubby cheeks, and they're so cute. But biblically, there is this hierarchy, this angel angelical power structure. There are different levels and ranks of spiritual beings, 
that have free will, that have personality. They, they can, according to what I just read, obey God or disobey God. The Bible talks about fallen angels. So if I'm, again, understanding correctly, that's an angel that was a good guy and became a bad guy. He switched teams in the middle of the game. Sometimes as, uh, you know, we kind of, we assume that whoever's above us has their act together, right? So kids, kids think their parents have their act together. When my kids were little, they thought I was the best. My dad's great. My dad can beat up your dad. (laughs) And then they grew up, and now they know better. My dogs still think I'm great, though, so I have that going for me. But my kids know better. In the same way, I think, we, we tend to think there's angels up there. Certainly, they've got their act together. Biblically speaking, that realm up there has a lot of similarities to this realm down here. You know, employers might come into work and have a team meeting and kind of get on their employees a little bit and say, hey, you guys are falling behind. We need to pick up the pace. We need to get things done here. You know, that might happen. The president might call his cabinet together and say, okay, we got to, you know, we, we got to get this done and get this done and get this done. And he gives them kind of a pep talk or parents might discipline their kids. They've been misbehaving. So the parents say, you got to be on timeout for a little while or whatever. But does God ever call out the angels and tell them, hey, you guys got to get your act together? Uh, apparently so. Apparently, they don't quite have it all together. All right. I'm going to do a little history lesson this morning. And uh, it might be boring to some of you. I find this kind of thing fascinating. (laughs) But uh, it'll make sense in the end. So 2,500 years ago, there was a guy named Plato. Would you go to the next? Plato, not Plato. Um. Plato was the most influential philosopher ever in the history of the world. Okay, very. He said some good things. He was a smart guy, very smart guy. Said some good things, said some things that probably were not so good. But overall, the point is he was very, very influential. So Plato had an explanation of life that he called the realm of forms. And the realm of, no, first of all, Plato did not know the Bible. He was not a believer. Uh, he was 500 years before Jesus or the New Testament. He was Greek, and he was a pagan. He was not a believer in God at all. But in the realm of forms, he said this. There must be, this was his conclusion on life. He looked at life, he said, there must be a higher realm above this realm that is like this realm, but also unlike it, in that that realm is perfect, and it does not change. It's a prototype This realm is a reflection or a shadow, he called it, of that realm. And this realm changes, but that is the divine blueprint that's that's established that we have to learn how to follow. That was his philosophy on life. So this pagan philosopher, the point is, he had a tremendous impact on theological thinking. So if you fast forward to 500 A.D., so we've gone a 1,000 years from 400 or so B.C. to 500 A.D., theologian named St. Augustine, who 
was a Christian, but he studied the Bible and Plato. And then he kind of morphed the two together. And essentially his, his theory was sort of Christianized Plato. He, 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 he said that this, this divine blueprint that Plato talked about is really the mind of God. It's, it's the mind of God. Now, Augustine's theory really became, and this is why I'm going over all this, the heart and soul of theological thinking that's impacted the Christian church since then and really up till today, and you'll see that in a minute. Plato was the most influential philosopher. Augustine was the most influential theologian. He said, everything that happens is the mind of God. This divine blueprint that Plato talks about, that's the mind of God. Everything, good, evil, great or small, it's all the working out of God's plan. It might seem like you think we're going through life, you're making decisions, but the reality is it's really God working out his plan in our midst. And furthermore, he said, there is no real evil because God is all good and everything is the working out of God's plan. So if things look evil to us, it's just our limited perspective. If we had the overall divine perspective that God has, we would see that that's not really evil. It's just God working out his plan. So what that is, is Christianized Plato. And that belief has influenced the church historically and still does today. Okay, end of history lesson. You're going, okay, that's great. Thanks so much for that. What does any of this have to do with me? Two things. First is, it causes us to blame God evil. There's a uh, lovely young lady, Christian woman. She's praying for her future spouse. And she believes that there's one person out there that God has for her. She's praying and then she meets this nice young man. They don't date, they court. Fall in love. They get married. And a year later, he has an affair with a co-worker. And what does she say? God, how could you do this to me? God, how could you do this to me? See, Christian family driving home from a church potluck, mom, dad, three kids, drunk driver, T-bones their car in an intersection, mom is killed instantly, and those kids grow up angry at God because he allowed that to happen. That is Augustinian theology. We are all just religious robots living out the plan of God. And in the end, we attribute to God what the Bible attributes to Satan. There is nowhere, anywhere, no verse, no passage, no, no quote, no anything in the New Testament anywhere that ever ascribes evil to God. When, when bad things happen in life, it is Satan or demonic forces and or the personal choice of people because we too are free agents. It's never, ever God. You look at the parable of the weeds and the farmer 
plants his seeds and the crops grow, but the weeds grew up with the crops. Why did this happen? Did you, I thought you planted good seed. You didn't plant bad seed. And what does Jesus say? An enemy did this. An enemy did this. The second thing, that's the first thing. We ascribe to God what is really evil. Second thing is this, that if everything is part of God's divine blueprint, what that means then is that nothing I do can really make a difference. Why would I do anything if the outcome is predetermined? Why would I share my faith? Why would I feed the poor? Why do I be nice? Why would I even pray? Why do I even pray if everything is predetermined? And and I I would just say to you, that's not a biblical perspective. I'm going to ask a question, and this is, I'm going to, seriously, I want you to answer. Raise your hand. Has anybody ever been woken up in the middle of the night with a sense that you should pray for somebody else? Anyone? Okay, probably two-thirds of you. Why did that happen? Why, why would you wake up in the middle of the night and think, I should pray for this person? Because it matters. That's why. Because it makes a difference. That's how God's kingdom works. God has chosen to involve us in the process. And he's created us as moral beings with a choice as well. (laughs) We can follow after God or not follow after God. We have the ability to make a difference in the lives of people around us. We we live our lives. We grow up. We get married. We get a job. We have kids. There's no guarantees in any of that. We're not robots, and the people around us aren't robots. We can choose to do good and to love and to follow God, or we can choose to go completely off the rails. Really, it's, it's up to us. And, and both, he, he, according to Ephesians 6 and other passages, humans and angels are both created this way. When evil happens in the world around us, it's not God causing that. Romans 8 tells us that God can extract good from even the worst situation, but that doesn't mean that God brought that situation about to begin with. Stuff really does just happen. People cause it, demons cause it, nature, weather, global warming, mathematical error, metal fatigue, Russian hacking, I don't know. A lot of things cause it. A lot of stuff goes wrong. God can help us pick up the pieces, but we all are morally responsible free agents who have a choice in the matter, and we we live according to God or we don't. Evil is what we're fighting against. And my point today is simply that a lot of Western theology tries to accept things as though they're from God that are the very things that Scripture tells us to fight against. And I guess, and I'll close with this, uh, if you guys, whoever's going to come up, Steph, we make a difference. We 
can make a difference. We, we have been given the power and authority by Jesus to make a difference. We can change the outcome. Our prayers, our actions can change things. I, I love this. Go to the next slide for me. Mother Teresa. She says, I used to believe that prayer changes things. I love this. But now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. I love that for two reasons. One, because I like what she says. Two, I like the source. Just be mindful that that's coming from an impoverished four foot eleven Albanian nun. Okay, if I ask you, who's the least likely person to change the world? You might say, the poor, short, little Albanian Catholic woman. I don't see her as being a very important person in the world. And yet she impacted thousands upon thousands of lives directly and millions and millions of lives indirectly. So, so I would just encourage you guys this week, pray a prayer. Help your neighbor. Do something nice for somebody. Let the kingdom of God come and the will of God be done here today on earth as it is in heaven. Do, do something in the name of Jesus to bless someone else and do it with the understanding that, you know what, it doesn't matter who you are, you can make a difference in the lives of the people around you. Amen? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Casket Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you next week.